This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Today is the first episode where I am interviewing a guest for my podcast, Entrepreneurs Get Visible. And I'm really excited today to interview Rob Moore, who is one of the UK's leading entrepreneurs, especially in this self-development and business development world. And he is, Rob is a seven times best-selling author. He is the author of 14 business and personal development books, some in property, some on money, some on entrepreneurialism. He is host of leading podcasts, The Disruptive Entrepreneur and Money. The podcasts are often within the top 50, if not higher, for iTunes globally. And he is also a two times world record breaker for public speaking. In this episode, we're talking all about about the vulnerability as you get visible, as you raise your profile, and the thoughts and behaviours that might hold you back as you decide to get out there. This episode was recorded as a live stream out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and anywhere else where Rob's audience is. And this is your first opportunity to listen to it fairly raw, fairly unedited, fly on the wall. This is what happens when you are 100 times millionaire creating a business that you love. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and I'm with Anna Parker Naples, who uh, has a great podcast called Entrepreneurs Get Visible, <laughs> not Entrepreneurs Get Physical. No, that's which a is, whole other podcast. I, that's what I thought it was called. I was quite excited about that. <laughs> Let's get physical. That really is vulnerable, which is yes. what we're talking about. Yes, today. that is. Anyway, I've been told to shut up now and not talk too much and have really good energy. So I'm all yours. It's your podcast. Do with me what you will. So I'm interviewing Rob for Entrepreneurs Get Visible today. And I wanted to talk really about the vulnerability of what you put out there as you decide to increase your profile. And I think, Rob, what I'd like to start with is asking you a little bit about what happened for you recently when you interviewed Katie Hopkins and the level of, I'm going to use the word attack, that you received online. Well, I mean, attack. A few people unfriended me. A few people blocked me. A few people said two peas in a pod. A few people judged me on having the same views as her or giving her a platform. And then probably 90,000 people either loved it or watched it with interest or followed me or subscribe to my channels. So I suppose it depends on what you focus on. And I think I think that's interesting because I was, I was looking at your YouTube follows of that, um, that particular episode that went out. And a lot of people, not a big fan of Katie Hopkins for various reasons, but you generated a lot of views and a lot of visibility as a result of that. Now, was that something strategic? Was that something you and your team sat down and thought that's probably going to cause some, some disruption? Okay, so my brand is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. You can see it in the background. So it would be on brand for me to maybe have some left field controversial guests Mm. to create polarising topical debate and deal with situations, discussions, issues, which maybe not everyone would agree with because that's on brand. Now, if it's not on brand, don't do it. So Yes, I wanted to interview Katie Hopkins. I have also interviewed nearly 100 other amazing guests. And by the way, she's probably not the most controversial. I would say John McAfee or David Icke, as controversial, maybe more. But for some reason, this one seemed to stir the hornet's nest the most. So I actually thought about it a lot. 
because some people who know me think maybe I just sort of shoot from the hip or, you know, I just, you know, start now, get perfect later. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. These are my quotes. So some people maybe think that I don't think too much. But actually, we went around the whole team, the whole office, everyone put their opinion in. The pluses and minuses of interviewing Katie. Some people thought it would be bad association. We actually have had one guest who declined to come on the show because of the interview with her, although none others. I felt like there might be a cost, a small cost. That's the only one I can measure right now. But, I, you know, me interviewing her for a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur about being disruptive does not mean I stand by her views. You interviewing me doesn't mean you stand by my views and vice versa. I'm okay with exploring content and people that um, not everyone necessarily agrees with. Now, what I wanted to do with that podcast is talk about the business element, the critic, the trolling, the hating element, you know, the, the, her leveraging her own brand. And I discussed all of that, not her political views and not her out, pretty outlandish statements. But of course, a few people just chose to focus on that. Now, as an entrepreneur, and I love the, the title of your podcast, Entrepreneurs Get Visible, visibility is credibility. No visibility, no credibility. You can have the, the most knowledge and, and the best product in the world, but if no one sees you, you do not exist, you are not known. So the visible element is a vital part of being an entrepreneur. Now in this studio, the same studio yesterday, we had Jake Wood and Spencer Oliver and Johnny Nelson for um, Jake and Spencer's podcast, Pound for Pound. And they were talking about two young YouTubers who have basically now turned professional so they can have a pay-per-view boxing fight, KSI and Logan Paul. And they're not boxers. They've turned professional so they can do it, but they're not boxers. They're um, young social media stars. And a lot of the boxing world is like, oh, well, you know, they're not real boxers and people are getting superseded by them and better boxers are on undercards. But then Johnny said, well, this is the business and the business mm -hmm. is the, the viewers you reach. And they sold a 6,000 venue out just like that. So back to the podcast and the question. And that is that visibility and getting your reach is equally important to the product that you offer. Because mm -hmm. if you're not seen, you, you don't exist. Now, that's really useful to hear because there's a quote I listened to when I was doing a little bit of prep work in the car on the way here today. I was listening to I'm Worth More, which is your latest best-selling mm. book. And the quote that you said was, without visibility, you don't exist in the wider market. And one of the things that you are... I guess forging the way for, particularly in the UK, is how to leverage this new social media that is growing and changing. So talk a little bit through the journey that you've had, particularly on Facebook and now with LinkedIn Lives and your supporter programme, about what that visibility has meant for you. Okay, so I think if you want to put yourself out there more, then you have to be clear what you offer the market mm -hmm. and you have to not desire to please everyone. And then you have to consistently, persistently and relentlessly put yourself out to that market. So I guess four years ago, I started focusing on my personal brand rather than my company brands, Progressive Property, Unlimited Success. And at the similar time I started my podcast, so that was at the similar time as I was building my Facebook page and the groups and everything else. Okay, we had them a bit longer, but that was when I started to focus on it. And so the impact now of having, you know, really good following on Facebook, some really big engaged groups, a podcast that's now gone past nearly 5.1 million downloads in 192 countries, YouTube channel, which is growing, decent Instagram following, which is growing, one of the biggest supporter programs in the country, the Facebook supporter program. My LinkedIn's right up there in the top LinkedIn accounts in the UK. So the benefit of that is I get public speaking gigs. Mm -hmm. So I, I get paid by 
might speak a keynote fee. Um, currently at the moment uh, in discussions and one's really advanced for two TV shows, one could be really big. Obviously, I have books that sell, so hundreds of thousands mm. of copies of my books. People trickle down and find their way to my events and seminars, uh, which do maybe in a really good year, £20 million top line revenue. So the benefit's been huge mm. of this I guess, compounded, consistent, putting content out there and serving my markets for many years. And sometimes you just got to get over yourself and do more Facebook Lives and start a podcast and post on Instagram, even if you're not quite sure how it works and figure it out as you go. Start now, get perfect later. So let's talk a little bit about what the human cost of that is, because particularly when you were launching the supporters program, was around the time that you were starting the 4X Marketing Mastermind, which I took part in. So Rob was my mentor for six months. And around that time, you were doing what I can only describe as an insane amount of lives. And for someone, I do quite a lot myself, but my energy levels, I notice really shift. If I've been, you know, if you're performing, then there is that kind of crash afterwards. What has been the knock-on effect of being as visible as that? Have you noticed one? Not really. No, because it's not like I've had to do it 16 hours a day and it's not like I'm in the bottom of a coal mine, coal mine, hacking away with a pickaxe, inhaling noxious fumes and doing really hard manual labour like a lot of people have to do in the world. So I want to contextualise this. Yeah. So on the one hand, this is the easiest hard work in the world. You know, to do Facebook Lives and put content out there that you really believe in and and you really add value to people's lives. That's the easiest hard work in the world. I think where I would worry about the human cost would be if I didn't see my kids or if I felt really burned out or I started to resent my market and my clients, which I've not got to that point. I won't allow myself to get to that point. And, to, you know, we're going to do 25 minutes on this. So this is a 25-minute piece of content. If I do two of those a day and a bit of planning, I'm no more than 75 minutes a day. I don't know how many minutes there are in a day, but there's way more than that. And there's plenty of time to do plenty of other things. So, no, I, I mean, I want to up my game and I want to put more content out there. Now, I've done, but bear in mind, this is coming from a guy who broke the world record for the longest speech. So some people would find it twice, harder than it, twice. Twice, yeah. twice, yeah, and the team's Two world speech. record breaking. Yes. So maybe I find it easier than others. And that's probably important to say, because some people, maybe there's nerves, maybe they over prepare, excuse me, and... And it's a bit of a thing for them. So there's always a cost because if I'm spending 90 minutes on social media or doing content, that's 90 minutes I'm not spending driving my business forward or 90 minutes I'm not spending looking after clients or 90 minutes I'm not spending with my family. But I always say to people that if you want to grow your business and you want to grow your brand and you want to grow your income and you want to grow your reach and you want to be more visible and you want brand endorsements and you want to be an influencer and the go-to expert in your space, then it's worth spending 60 to 90 minutes five times a week on putting content out there so people can see you. I absolutely agree. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons that my business really started to drive forward when once I started working with you and was really consistent about getting out there and doing lives and putting out much more content. One of the things that I quite admire about you is that you are very open about some of the things going on in your personal life and you share all things that have happened in the past. You share quite a lot of your vulnerability, particularly I'm thinking about stories that you share about your dad and what's happening there with him and his mental health disorders. How do you find that as an individual, knowing that you put that out into the world? Mm, okay, so I'm going to answer this question and the last question at once. Okay. 
So whilst I said there is no real human cost, that was coming from a place of gratitude. And actually, I really enjoy my life and I love doing what I do. But the reality is there could be a cost. So, you know, if your kids are on social media or people find out where you live because you're out there a lot on social media, then you could have a security issue. So I've I've secured the heck out of my um, house where I live. It's like Fort Knox. I wouldn't ever check in while I'm away abroad because I know people have done that and then they've been burgled. Mm. And, you know, maybe you never have a private life. If you get really big, you know, they are some realities My wife doesn't like media, social media, putting herself out there. She's deleted the Facebook and Instagram apps from her phone. She only looks at it on the laptop from time to time. So she sees you more. Well, she doesn't see you. No, she doesn't see me in face to face. (laughs) So, 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 so she's made that conscious decision, and I get why. But for me, it's it's work, it's business, it's life. I don't waste time on it. Just you know, getting involved in debates and and just you know messing about. So I've kind of got a constructive use of it. I think that the phone can take your attention away from your children and the phones are bloody addictive. And I'm one of the few people to admit that actually I am addicted to my phone. And I think that they're set up that way because they want native, they want you to stay on their platform. They're going to do everything they can to keep you there. So I have to know when to put it down, when to have a come down off of it, when, you know, when I'm out with kids or friends or, or, or whatever. How to be in real life. Exactly, yeah. And remember, and remember that, yeah. So they are some possible costs, but I don't really think I've... I think I've got control of that to a certain degree and I feel pretty happy with my balance in terms of the cost. So to so just remind me of the, the current question. And then I'll so it's about the vulnerabilities, the decisions to yes, share certain things, particularly in light of, of your yeah. dad and things that have gone on there. So I'm a bit of an oversharer. I'll share a little bit more than a little bit less. I've got a business partner who's very secretive. He would share less. I pretty much will tell you what's going on in my life. And to some, some occasionally people have used that against me um, or they judge me. And I just accept that because I think it's just important to know what is your brand. And so for me, I feel like if I share everything, okay, there's obviously a few things that are very private and you don't have to share those. But, you know, I um, I have a therapist uh, and that's not something I've been doing for very long. And I don't mind sharing that because I don't feel like there's anything majorly wrong. And if there was, I wouldn't be embarrassed to say that. But I just... I just get it from all angles because I run, what, five or six companies. I have 85 staff. I've got kids. I've written loads of books. I've got loads of partners. I just get information and demand from all angles. And so I need to just unload. So, but other people will be like, oh, I'm not saying I've got a therapist because people will judge me. Well, in America... There's well, no idea if that's shame. Well, in America, to... people brag about having a therapist. And in, in England, it's like there's something to be shameful of. But I've always had coaches, mentors. I've always learned from others. I've always done courses. And the last year or two, I've been so much focused on growing my companies, I haven't done that as much. So I thought, I'm going to get a new coach, a new mentor, and a new therapist. And they're different. And I'm going to use them all. So that is something that I would share that I wouldn't say anyone else has to share. But I think if I share that, it makes my followers and listeners and fans, it makes them feel okay if they need to talk about stuff. Because in some ways, I'm not self-aware, but in other ways, I'm quite self-aware. And where I, where I am self-aware is holding things in is not good for me. I need to let it out. Otherwise, it stews and it festers and it becomes something more like latent, repressed anger or passive-aggressive behaviour. I know that that can manifest in me if I hold in and hold in and hold in. So having a mentor who can guide me, 
having a coach who can get me to ask good questions to reframe my pattern, being a good mentor and coach to myself, having a therapist who will just sit there and listen for an hour while I go, Wah! and just chunder words all over her face for like an hour. That's really good for me. Doing Like my podcast and doing lives and interviews is also therapy for me because I get to release out. Now, some people don't like to release things out, but I think most people need that. So what I've, a lot of my work is also my therapy. And so for me, the honesty, the vulnerability, it's kind of who I am. Like I share things about my life because I know it's healthy for me. And occasionally that means I overshare, but every downside has an upside, every upside has a downside. Are there things you wish you hadn't shared? Or maybe from a family perspective, your family maybe wish you hadn't shared? Maybe you don't want to say them again because... Uh... Oh, no, I'd answer, I'd answer it. I'm just thinking if there is anything. I mean, my mum asked me to be on my podcast mm. to do an episode on my dad's I mental health challenges. Episode. So I can't say anything I've said about that I would regret because my mum asked me to do that as a, a full-on episode. And by the way, nearly all discussions I've had around mental health and that have been some of the most positively responded and get hundreds of messages on those. So they're a gift. I mean, you know, when I speak on stage, occasionally something really cheeky comes out of my mouth or, you know, I make a joke and it doesn't quite land. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could take that back, but it's a bit late. But that's kind of my brand as well. I mean, my brand is if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So I can't actually say, if I said something, I'll tell you what, there is one thing and I don't do it anymore. And I've made a big conscious effort, though I've probably done it a few times, is I don't want to speak badly of others. So if I said something in public that was speaking badly of someone else, you know, we've all done it. But I try my best to hold myself to a standard not to do that. Like every now and again, I reset a challenge to myself to go for 30 days or 90 days, not saying a bad thing about anyone. And I'm in one of those at the moment, I'm about 15 days in and I've not said one bad thing about anyone. And I've held bit my tongue because I think that's a professional way to conduct yourself. And I think it also... And it's about what do you want to be known for? If you're getting more visible, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered as the person slating somebody else? Well, exactly. And a lot of people, by the way, when you say other people, you can actually get very good visibility doing that. That's called newsjacking or, you know, often there's these commentators who criticise others. And it's easy to criticise someone who's just been jailed or someone who's gone through a divorce or, you know, someone who's in a in therapy or counselling or recovering from being a drug addict. It's easy to point them over there. But you don't know their life and you don't know what's going on. So I think the one thing I would regret is if I said something and it hurt someone. And I try my best not to do that. So one of the things... But if you fuck with me... (laughs) Now this podcast is explicit. Um, Well, no, you can beat that out. But no, but I won't allow myself to be bullied. And if someone goes for me all the time or someone I care about, I'll go back at them. So you might find a couple of things from time to time which I've done. But that's usually in defence, not offence. So one of the things that that I guess there's some synergy is that both you and I are creative people. We had our early adulthoods where we were creative. I'm, I'm an actor. You were an, an artist. And I guess those things don't Why do you really call yourself disappear. an actor and not an actress? <gasps> is there something you're not telling me? I think it just felt more proper. Like I'd be... Oh, there's a whole, whole thing about this. I think I would be... Back then, I would have always have been received more properly had I been an actor and it was serious as opposed to just being a girly thing that I did on the side. But there's a whole psychology thing behind that. Yeah, I feel feel like I want to take (laughs) over the interview now. So when I think back to my own acting career and my own creativity, when you'd have moments where you'd be criticised or someone wouldn't receive your work in the way that you wanted it to, or you didn't get that positive feedback. I know that that really formed who I became in my early adulthood. And it's kind of coming through those things that have then enabled me from a mindset perspective to then open out and then kind of forge forward in business and as an entrepreneur. 
and it has then enabled me to have so many more opportunities because I've dealt with that. When you think back to yourself as an, ac uh, an, uh, not an actor, maybe you were, I don't know. A diva, as an artist, I'm a diva, yeah. As an artist, say, I mean, I've seen some pictures of you age 26 and you, you, there you are doing some artwork in the garden. Yeah. When you think back to who you were then and what you're doing now, what were the pivotal steps? that allowed you and enabled you to go from artist who's kind of undiscovered and unrecognised to now a hugely successful entrepreneur with a massive following. Okay. How do you turn 15 years into two minutes? Because you told me before you went live, I'm not allowed to talk for ages. And I've got to have the energy really <laughs> high. So how do you do that? Okay, so I think when I was an artist... I was a victim, really. Mm -hmm. I felt like the world had transpired against me and was against me. I felt like other people were lucky or were screwing people over. I resisted going down traditional routes like entering art into competitions and hanging my work in London for really fear-based ego decisions of what if it gets rejected? What if I'm not good enough? So, and they manifested in quite defensive, passive-aggressive ways. So one of the things that changed was I started to believe in myself more. I started to put myself out there more because art is not art unless people see it. So the more people see your art, the more people discuss your art, the more it's art. It, you know, it's kind of like has that feedback loop. I think not existing in a silo. So when I was an artist, I did everything myself and I existed in this little bubble in my home come studio. Whereas now as a business owner, I have multiple partnerships. I learn from everyone. I watch what my competitors are doing. I go on courses, seminars, I get mentors. I'm always talking to people. I'm trying to socialise in business and be business in social situations. So it's like having a much wider view of the world and what's going on in my industries. I think that was a big shift. I think my ability to take rejection was also another big shift because like art kind of really exaggerates rejection because... If you reject my art and my art is my soul and my creativity onto a canvas or an installation, then you reject me and who I am and everything I've ever done and been. And people who make art are usually passionate and creative. And so therefore, I wouldn't put my work out there or I'd be really defensive about getting it critiqued. But I know now that there's the famous saying, feedback is a breakfast of champions. So I now know I need to get my work, product services, mentorships, books, podcasts, out to as many people as possible. And I need a lot of people to chew it up and spit it out and criticise it and critique it, which is different, and go through it and analyse it and give me improvements and suggestions. And I need to let people judge it. And the more people that judge my work, the, the more interactive feedback I'm getting as to, to continually improve my work. So I, I own my work less. This kind of sounds weird, but I'll put my podcasts out, I don't listen to them again. I do my lives, I don't watch them again. I write my books, I don't read them again. I create my work in a, a very opposite of a siloed, so a very I have a very wide macro view. When I'm writing books, I'm getting all, all my readers to give me areas of their life that they need improving, and I'm, I'm moving chapters on those subjects into the book. So I'm, I'm one great big crowdsourcer, I suppose, with like an iterative approach to my products and services instead of hoarding it for the fear of being judged and ridiculed. And I get judged and ridiculed much more now because I have a, a bigger following, but it's only a very small percentage. I mean, I'm still to this day quite surprised and gobsmacked at how few people criticise me and troll me. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of the Kardashians in terms of the size of my following, but I've 
probably got now more than a million followers across all the channels. And yeah, like with my personality, I'd, I'd, kind, of, I'd kind of feel like I'd be trolled a lot more. Although there is a, a Twitter account called Rob Moore's Penis. Um, and there is a Facebook page called Rob Moore. Is that Moore. official? Yeah, it's official. <laughs> and there is a, a Facebook page called Rob Moore Money Grabber. So they're starting to come. But that, that fear you're talking about in terms of being judged, a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs who want to make use of this online space have that real fear about being visible, have that fear about being seen on screen and being caught and judged and reviewed Get and critiqued. It. Get over it. So this is what I was going to finish with Get by over saying, it. What, uh, what would be your pieces of advice, your three pieces of advice to people who want to grow their business by getting out there more. How can they get over that fear? What do they have to do? Okay, so what is your bigger fear? Is your bigger fear putting yourself out there for risk of ridicule and criticism? Or is your bigger fear living in the world that you're in now and not reaching your full potential? So I don't like doing lives, particularly. When there's a new platform and a new way of doing it, I, I don't really like figuring it out. I just want someone to show me how it works and make it work. I don't really like the way I look on certain angles and views on some of these live profiles, but I'll just do what I need to do to get myself out there, as long as it's ethical and legal, of course. So I think you've got to think about what is your bigger fear, because generally human beings will take the lower fear option. So if you can almost trick yourself into going, I've got two choices here, get over my fear of social media, or always have you know, like a smaller destiny and legacy to live. So I would say that's one. The second thing is everything can be iterative. So you can start by writing a post, then you can do a one minute live, then you can do a picture that you maybe do Photoshop a bit, but I've never Photoshopped a picture because I just think like people aren't judging me what I look at. It's okay. not what's important, no. is it, in terms you, of getting you, your you, message out there? Who cares how big my beard is? Who cares if I've got blemishes on my skin? I'm not an Instagram model. What you're following me for is my information and my, you know, what I know as an entrepreneur. But the thing is, you're going to be judged anyway. No matter who you are, you're going to be judged. I saw this really, really good meme. Now, I'm probably going to cock it up, but I'll try it. But it was a picture of a donkey and two people and two people behind them. And there was four scenarios. So the man was on the donkey and the two people were judging the fact that the woman had to walk. Then the woman was on the donkey and how did they judge the woman being on the donkey? Um, I can't fucking remember. We'll just imagine this. But there was one, a woman on the donkey, a man on the donkey, no one on the donkey, and the people behind criticised every scenario. I'm definitely not using that analogy again. Can you have a quick look if you can find that meme really fucking quick? But like, what I'm trying to spit out here is that no matter what you do, people will criticise yeah, you. You absolutely. have a fast car, you're flashy. You have a shit car, you're skin. It doesn't matter. You can't win. Yeah, you, you, you dress smart, you're overdressed. You dress casual, you're underdressed. You know, you put makeup on, you've tried too hard, you're covering who you really are. You don't have any makeup on, you look like a ghost. You know, whatever. So people are going to judge you anyway. So, so you might as well there. fucking be who you are. If they're going to judge you anyway, show the world who you really are. I like that. Nice way to end on entrepreneurs. Please can we find that donkey meme? <laughs> have you found it? Yeah. Okay. So what do they say when the man is on? They say, um, selfish man, you ride the donkey while your wife tracks. Okay, selfish man, you ride the donkey while your wife tracks. What do they say when the woman is on? Stupid man, your wife rides on the donkey. Okay, you stupid man, your wife is riding on the donkey. What do they say when they're both on? Uh, 
Um, Wicked Man, two of you on a donkey, that's animal cruelty. Okay, animal cruelty, two of you on a donkey. And what do they say when there's no one on the donkey? Clueless man, you don't even know how to ride a donkey. Clueless man, you don't even know how to ride a donkey. There you go, we did it. So there we go. But, so. the, but I, I actually, it's really simple. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I want to make this serious now. That, for me, I thought that's really clever. Because no matter what the fuck you do, someone's going to judge you. Yeah. So, so get on and do it anyway. And be who you are. Yeah. And I think Catherine that's... said, good job for editing. No, we're not, we're not editing <laughs> going this. Out that. Anyway, but there you go. Catherine. I just fucked up that little bit of the, yes. um, of the live. And I've just put an F in your fucking podcast where kids probably listen to that. Hey, look, start now, get perfect later. I think that people don't want you to be perfect. They want you to care. People want to know that you want to help people, that you're interested in other people, that you have a desire to improve. No one expects you to be perfect. No, and I think it's about being human, isn't it? Ultimately, that vulnerability is about showing you are a real living human being who is still going out there, forging ahead, having success and riding those waves of <laughs> being a disruptive entrepreneur and riding those waves of success, failure and life in between. Boom. Boom. Thank you for coming on. Ross. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.